Keeping It With Jones, the Lonnie Jones podcast adventure, is brought to you by TKM Incorporated. This company located in Moss, Tennessee, specializes in erosion control, hydro-seeding, hydro-mulch, silt fence. They do minor excavation work, and they also provide traffic control and construction signs. Their mission is keeping people safe. Their passion is wishing that all men could be saved. TKM stands for The King's Men. If you'd like to contact The King's Men, you can contact them at 931-243-3958. 931-243-3958. Or you may email them at tkminc2001 at twlakes.net. That is tkminc2001 at twlakes.net. The King's Men in partnership with Keeping Up With Jones, the Lonnie Jones podcast adventure. SJL General Contractor is a full construction company that primarily focuses on civil construction and asphalt sales in the Huntsville and Fayetteville regions. Services they provide include, but are not limited to, road construction, asphalt material, underground utilities, site work, and demolition. They employ heavy equipment operators, concrete finishers, pipe layers, and CDL dump truck drivers. If you would like for this company to work for you on your project, or if you'd like to work for them as an employee of this family-owned business, you can contact them at 931-433-4660. That is 931-433-4660. Or three W's and a dot sjnl.com. That's www.sjnl.com. SJNL General Contractor is a sponsor of Keeping Up With Jones. Lonnie Jones podcast adventure. It could be called a training scar. Some people call it muscle memory, although a friend of mine says your muscles have no memory. I had spent 40 hours at the police academy teaching a class. I'm one of the instructors for the crisis intervention teams. And when we do a 40 hour class, I'm there five days a week. And about every 45 minutes to an hour, we take a break and, and, on that break, I usually go to the men's room. Now, what you've got to understand about the new police academy is this multi-million dollar facility. It has the latest and the greatest state-of-the-art audio-visual stuff. We have a room, our auditorium there that we call the uh, TED Talk Room. We have big screen TVs and glass whiteboards. And the thing about the, the new facility is that there's automatic lights and, and the lights are motion sensitive. And so when you walk into the men's room, you have to take two or three commitment steps to get the lights to come on. I tell people, hey, if you use the restroom while you're in my class and, and you walk into the, the men's room, it's a commitment move. you got to enter that, that room just like you're making an entry. And you get two or three good steps in before those lights come on. And I spent the week doing that. Well, Saturday morning, I got up very early and drove a couple of hours to speak. I was doing a mental health day at a, a small country congregation in Double Springs, Alabama. And I drive, you know, hour and a half, two hours, and I get to the little church building, and they let me in the door, and there's not very many people there. And I'm 60 years old, and I've been on the road for two hours, and I drank a monster energy drink while I was on my way over there. So guess what I do? Yep, I got to find the men's room. 
And I open the door to the darkened men's room and I walk in and the door closes behind me and I hear Elvis sing, Wise men say, only fools rush in. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, Elvis. Well, I'm standing there in the utter pitch black because this small country congregation does not have automatic lights like the police academy does. And so I'm standing here in the dark, and I mean in the dark. It is darker than Darth Vader's sunglasses. It's darker than Helen Keller in a welder's helmet. Now, you've got to understand some things about bathrooms and churches. If you've ever been to the ladies' bathroom in a church, and I don't know why you would unless you're a lady, but but I have because I've had years and years and years of experience as a youth minister. I even spoke at an all-girls youth rally one time, and I got invited to come and, and talk to the girls from a Christian male's perspective on dating. Now, this is the Lonnie Jones who had a daughter and had been married for several years. This is not the Lonnie Jones in high school who was helping Camille Baxter with her math homework. I was a solid C student in math. And Camille asked me to help her with her homework and because I was very, very interested in Camille and not necessarily in, in her math grades, I volunteered to help her. And at some point, I had to confess to the young lady, look, I'm not making any progress in becoming someone that you'll date and you're still failing math. So let's just be honest about this thing. I'm not that good at math. You're not that interested in me. You need to find another tutor. That's not that Lonnie Jones. I'm, I'm speaking to these girls from, from the standpoint of a mature Christian male who's raising a daughter. Anyway, while I was there, they had a, a female speaker. And according to our religious tradition, they were uncomfortable with me being in the room uh, and a woman being the, the speaker. So they didn't want any males present. So I'm outside roaming around in the church building waiting for my turn to speak. And finally, I get to come into the auditorium and talk to these girls. And somebody said, well, Mr. Lonnie, what did you do while Miss Sheila was speaking? I said, well, since I'm the only guy here, I went into the ladies room and I raised all the seats on the toilets just leaving my mark, letting you know that there's a guy here. Anyway, if you go into a lady's restroom at the church building, they have little tables with doilies on them and lamps and paintings and wingback chairs. And it's almost like a lady's lounge. You go into a men's bathroom and it's just that. It's a men's bathroom. The only decoration you'll find in a men's bathroom is a well-meaning deacon has put a shelf on the wall so that you can put your Bible or your other speaking material there so you can use the bathroom. Now, what you've got to understand about the well-meaning deacons is this shelf is either going to be so high I can't reach it, or it's going to be so low that I could decapitate myself or decaffeinate myself or decapitate myself by running into this shelf. And I'm standing in the middle of this bathroom in the utter pitch blackness, and I don't know if there's a deadly weapon at eye level with me or not. I don't know the deacons at this church, and I don't know if there's a shelf there. I'm standing here in the utter darkness because I rushed in. Rushing in. Overreaction. Reacting to things without thinking is what's got us in a lot of our troubles religiously and in our marriages and in our education system and in our ideologies. You see what happens when, when you react to things rather than respond to things is that we let our emotions control us and we have this knee-jerk reaction. We used to play this game on the ropes course 
with a giant teeter-totter. And I don't know who was the genius who labeled this element the giant teeter-totter, but it is indeed a giant teeter-totter. It'll hold about 20, 25 people. And, and you put people in the middle of this giant teeter-totter, and you say, hey, your job is, is to balance this thing. And as the groups start to try to move their weight around and shift positions, if the left side of the teeter-totter starts to go down, everybody runs to the right side. And when the right side starts to go down, everybody runs to the left side. And they end up with herky-jerky reactionary movement, and they never get the teeter-totter balanced. In fact, the only way to balance the teeter-totter is to move away from the extremes and to kind of cluster to the middle and then gently spread out. An interesting phenomenon that we noticed in our teeter-totter was that the groups that touch each other, the groups that are more connected, actually have more balance. The groups that, that assign different jobs to different people actually have more balance. A lot of times we get into problem solving or we get into solution making and we think everybody has to do the same thing the same way. One of the strategies we would use with groups that weren't very successful is we would have the group break up into groups of three. And in every small group of three, you had a Mo, a Larry, and a Curly. And then we put the group back on the teeter-totter, and the instructions were, if you're one of the Moes, you freeze. If you're a Larry, you sit down. And if you're a Curly, you can walk around. And when everybody did their individual job, and everybody didn't try to do the same job, and everybody didn't react to the movement of the teeter-totter at the same time in the same way, those groups who had previously been unsuccessful in balance could be very successful in balancing it. Our country's being ripped apart right now b because of reaction. Because we decide you got to be in this camp or that camp. We had several years ago, we had riots, and, and they were completely based on some unfortunate situations in the arrest of, of an individual. And because of that, our police department has a policy now concerning defensive tactics. And, and lots of police departments has have the uh, the same policy that you can't use a vascular neck restraint or what is glamorized in the media and called a chokehold. Well, I do Brazilian jiu-jitsu and I've been in lots of chokeholds and I have applied a lots of chokeholds and, and, and what they do is, is they temporarily restrict the flow of blood to the brain and you take a quick nap. But when you start looking at the, the reaction to the uninformed media about what happened in those situations, then they say, oh, all these things are dangerous and you can't use them unless a deadly force situation. Well, my question is, when you analyze any of those circumstances, whether it's the, the guy on the subway recently or the guy several years ago, you ask yourself the question, did this person die because they were in a chokehold or while they were in the chokehold? Because you see, if you apply the same kind of logic, then you've got to say, hey, these people died while they were in the hospital, and so nobody should ever go to hospitals anymore. But did they die while they were in the hospital, or did they die because they were in the hospital? Now, if a person dies because they were in the hospital, that's called malpractice, and you do something different about that. But we lose our balance when we start rushing back and forth between the extremes and, and this unfortunate thing happened, either it was an untrained individual or a malicious individual, but now nobody can use this technique because of this circumstance. And that's reaction that swings us out of balance and we live in the extremes and we rush in. If we overcommit to an ideology, 
And if we decide to protect that ideology because we play semantics with words, then all we're doing is being reactionary. Now, here's the litmus test of whether or not we're actually having real conversation. Here's the litmus test of whether we're looking at something from a standpoint of, hey, can I learn and change my mind? And, and there's basically seven points that, that talks about the dangers of, of overreaction. Number one is absolutism and belief. Number two is the self-righteous spirit. Number three is being combative in our dialogue. Number four is an us versus them orientation. Number five is when we demonize the other group. Number six is when we police ideological boundaries. And number seven is when we use shame on others. So here's what happens. In absolutism of belief, people who have, have absolutism in their belief never use the statement, I might be wrong. They believe I can't be wrong. And if your approach, if your methodology, if your marriage, if your child rearing doesn't look exactly like mine, then it is invalid. And reactionism is, is manifested in absolutism of belief. And then there's the idea of a self-righteous spirit. And it doesn't have to be just in religion. Now, in religion, it becomes spiritual abuse or you become a spiritual narcissist. But it's not just religious self-righteousness. It can be in business. It can be in economics. It can be in marriage. It can be in parenting. Sometimes it even shows up in, in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Are you a gi or a no-gi guy? Are you a leg-lock guy or not a leg-lock guy? And, and so many times you hear these guys and they'll present a certain view of self-defense or a certain view of martial arts, and they will talk about this is the only way versus this is a way rather than this is the way. Sometimes we are combative in our dialogue when we talk to other people about these issues or these things that we're wanting to change or wanting them to change, we often use contempt. We spend a lot of our dialogue listening to respond rather than listening to understand. Everything we say is in the form of a debate rather than in the form of, of a conversation. And you listen to people especially who use only emotion-based arguments and, and they don't want to listen to facts. They just want to parade their feelings, and the dialogue becomes combative and becomes contemptuous. And then you have an us versus them orientation. Basically, it becomes competitive, and, and it becomes what we call a zero-sum game. I'm right. You're wrong. I win. You lose. I'm the best. You're the worst. When that's our mindset, when that's how we present ourselves, then what happens is we're actually being selfish. And anytime I enter into anything and I manifest selfishness, either overtly or covertly, if, if I broadcast on a subliminal level that I'm being selfish, selfishness is the marker for mistrust. You see, selfishness and trust are a function of each other. And the more selfish I behave, the less you trust me. And, and the more you trust me, the, the more selfless I behave. And so this us versus them in orientation causes us to adopt this selfish platform. I'm right, you're wrong, I win, you lose. I'm going to get all the marbles and you get none. And then when trust goes out the window, you can't have an open and honest dialogue because nobody trusts each other. Now, once it becomes a me versus you and us versus them, then I tend to demonize the other group. We use labels like homophobe or heterophobe. A gun toter, a civilian gun handler becomes a zealot or a violence monger or an urban terrorist or a domestic terrorist. 
people who don't believe in violence and people who won't use violence and people who are conformists become sheeple. And the thing about demonizing the other group, if I can call you a name, if I can give you a label, whether it's in marriage or in conflict, if I can remove your humanity, then I am much more likely to be able to possess the ability to kill you. That's according to Colonel Dave Grossman in his book On Combat. When I remove your humanity, when I can demonize you, when I can give you a label or a name, then it's less likely that I'll treat you like a human and I'll treat you like an object. And that we can place ideological boundaries on people and we police them. Uh, We aren't allowed to think differently. We aren't allowed to entertain possible alternatives. You can't ask questions to get operational definitions. You know, the the hot topic right now in our country is about the confusion of, of gender identity. Well, there seems to be an obvious definition that we have to talk about. You want to talk about maleness or femaleness. I'm, I'm not talking about masculinity versus femininity. I'm talking about this is the general, are you male or are you female? Are we allowed to talk about chromosomes? Or are we just going to throw out 118 years of science? Now, it could be that people who are struggling with a gender identity are using it as, as a coping mechanism. It could be that the gender identity epidemic is just the latest in, in a series of psychological epidemics that has happened. I've been in private practice as a therapist for about 25 years, and if, if you go back you know, 10 years, then the thing that was plaguing our young people was the same-sex attraction. Well, 15 years before that, you didn't hear about anybody struggling with their sexual attraction to the same sex. They were either goth or emotionally conflicted. And, and, and years before that, they were the people who were cutting themselves. And, and years and years before that, it was, it was anorexia and bulimia. Now, all of those things are serious psychological and serious medical conditions, but they get conscripted by a certain group of young people who are in severe, deep psychological pain. They're in deep, severe emotional pain, and they're finding a way to cope. Now, is that what we're talking about, or are we talking about uh, Kleinfelter syndrome? Are we talking about gender dysphoria, or are we talking about people who are born intersex? Now, instead of being able to ask those questions about coping mechanisms or medical conditions, people who police the ideological boundaries just simply say, hey, you can't talk about those things. It's all fits in this basket or doesn't fit in a basket at all. And then you can't have an open and honest conversation and you don't have any balance. And then the last thing that you got to be careful of is, is using shame as a mean to control others. Shame is a fear of loss of connection, according to Brene Brown. And if you don't agree with me, then you'll be disconnected. I'll ban you. I'll silence you. I'll boycott you. You won't be included. You'll be silenced. And so we use this idea that if you don't agree with me, then not only will I treat you as if you're wrong, I'll treat you as if you're bad. And then when we use shame as a means of controlling others, we're out of balance and we make the other person out of balance. Reactionism. Jumping to conclusions. Being unwilling to learn, being unwilling to consider another perspective is the fundamental reaction of those people who are seeking to be right, but they are reacting because they are afraid and insecure that they're going to be wrong. You see, being unwilling to learn 
is is not that hey I want to find out what's right. It's just I don't want to be proven wrong, and and that makes us reactionary. If you look before you leap, if you think before you speak, if you ask before you assume, then you don't rush in. But if you rush in, you just end up standing lost in the middle of the dark. Using the tool of shortwave radio, World Christian Broadcasting literally covers the world every day with the gospel. They use two large curtain antennas. One is located in Anchor Point, Alaska, and the other in Madagascar. They send out messages that are recorded at their international home in Franklin, Tennessee. They make available 40 hours of broadcast every day. The broadcasts are made in English, Chinese, Russian, Spanish, Portuguese, Korean, English for Africa, and Arabic. They would love for your group to visit them. You can bring your ladies group, your youth group, or your men's group. Just give them a call at 615-371-8707, 615-371-8707, or you can go to three W's and a dot, worldchristian.org, find the Donate Here button, and make a financial contribution to support this work that literally covers the world every day with the gospel. World Christian Broadcasting, in cooperation with Keeping Up With Jones, the Lonnie Jones Podcast Adventure. Keeping Up With Jones, the Lonnie Jones Podcast Adventure is sponsored by us, what? We sponsor ourselves? Is that even legal? Check us out on Amazon. You can have access to the titles of Pedagogue, the youth ministry book by Lonnie Jones. Cognitive Spiritual Development, a Christ-centered approach to spiritual self-esteem. Grappling with Life, Controlling Your Inside Space, a small essay using the principles of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu to talk about psychological and emotional self-defense. If I Were a Mouse, a children's book written and illustrated by Lonnie Jones, and then The Selfish Reel, a very short story about a decision. Also, you can check out our YouTube channel to see archived lessons and presentations from across the country, some videos with uh, rope tricks and knots. Don't forget to visit the uh, Facebook page, 550 Guys, to learn about the little rope men that we make and that we invented and that we make. And then be sure to click like, subscribe, and share. This is Keeping Up With Jones, the Lonnie Jones podcast adventure. Thank you.